0: If you have your Bibles, turn in the book of Zechariah, and we will be in chapter number six, Zechariah chapter number six, I'm sorry, chapter number five, tonight, Zechariah chapter five. Uh, we're, the beginning of the book of Zechariah contains eight visions that Zechariah was given five of those visions we've already looked at, and those visions were to encourage Zechariah to, uh, or encourage Zechariah and Josiah, uh, uh, Zerubbabel, and uh, Joshua, the high priest, Zerubbabel, the governor of of Israel, and Joshua, the high priest, to to continue the work of the temple and continue the rebuilding project that they were doing there in Jerusalem, and so we see those. Uh, first three or first five visions and, and uh, basically God was telling them that the work that they were doing was sanctified, it was holy because, and it was empowered by God because what they were doing was of eternal consequence because where they were doing this rebuilding project uh, was actually the very spot on which Jesus Christ will rule and reign uh, during the millennium and throughout eternity, and so, so, so that spot was holy in the eyes of the Lord, and and their work was holy, and God wanted to encourage them with these first visions, with, with this these prophecies about the future of 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 Jerusalem and the future of the temple. Well, now we come to the last three visions, and uh, uh, what the theme of these, the theme is going to change. It's going to change from a theme of encouragement and grace to a theme of judgment. And, and that's always the case. And then it comes back to grace, but that's always the case because God offers his grace. And if people reject his grace, then there's judgment and then there's grace for those who through that judgment turn to the Lord. And so the purposes of God's judgment are to get people to turn to the Lord. Now, we're going to look at two of those visions tonight about judgment. They line up right, uh, almost perfectly with what we're looking at in the book of Revelation right now. Sometimes I just get amazed at how you, you're going through the book of the Bible and you get into a text. And, and the, the, the timing of it is just phenomenal. Here we are looking at two visions that uh, are exactly... In line with what we're going to be looking at, what we looked at last week in Revelation and what we're going to be looking at next week in Revelation. These two visions line up with that perfectly, and we'll see that here in a, in a few minutes. But, but uh, anyway, uh, the, the two visions that we're going to look at are really difficult to interpret. Two of the most difficult visions to interpret in the entire Bible, in my opinion. Uh, but we're going to do it anyway, <laughs> we're going to try to do it anyway. And I'm not even going to bore you with all the various, uh, the different interpretations. There's probably about as many interpretations of these two visions as there are interpreters. So I'm not going to get into what everybody else's interpretation is. What I can do is give you the way I see this, this, these visions, what they, what they mean to me. And I think the general uh, purpose of the visions, the meaning of the visions, the general meaning of the vision we can get that down and so so uh uh we'll we'll understand some of this symbolism and uh we'll be able to make uh uh make out what he's trying to show us here and then i I, am sure we can get the main points of this symbolism so let's pick up at the at the first vision that we're going to be looking at tonight the sixth vision that uh uh zechariah had and, again, it's a vision of judgment, and you're going to see that here in a minute. But, but look at verse number one. He says, then I turned and I raised my eyes, and I saw a flying scroll. I mean, a UFO. He saw a UFO. And it was, it was uh, if you look at the next verse, it was 20 cubits. Uh, its length was 20 cubits and its width was 10 cubits. And so, it's a pretty large scroll. It's a big scroll. It probably would look something like a flying saucer. But a scroll, in modern terms, is what? It's a book. And so, basically, what he sees, he sees this book flying through the air. And it's flying. The fact it's flying, it means that it's moving very rapidly and that it's going everywhere. That this book is flying through the earth at a very rapid pace. And in verse number two, and he said to me, what do you see? And I mean, I don't think they even thought of UFOs back then. Or Zechariah said, man, I saw my first UFO. But he doesn't say that. He says, I see a flying scroll. And its length is 20 cubits and its width is 10 cubits. Then he said to me, now he's going to, this is the angel of the Lord. And so this is Jesus Christ speaking to Zechariah. And he says to him, this is the curse. What this book is, it's the curse. It's the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. So that scroll lines up with the scroll that was handed to Jesus uh, in heaven at, just before when? Just before the great tribulation began. So this scroll is going throughout the whole earth to, to, to curse the earth because the earth is being judged. And, and uh, he says, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. And, and on one side of the scroll, it says every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll. And on the other side of the scroll, every perjurer should be expelled according to that side of it. Now, so what he's speaking of, when we, when we were looking at the scroll in Revelation chapter 5, that scroll, I said, was more than likely the prophecies about the great tribulation. And in this case, I think the scroll, and it fits with the prophecies about the Great Tribulation. In this case, in this context, the scroll is the book of the law. And so really when we're looking at the scroll, if you've got the law and you've got the prophets, what do you have? You basically got the Bible. And so I think that's what he was seeing flying through the air was, his, was, was the scroll, which really was the Bible. And on one side was his commandment against Stigling. And on the other side was this commandment against lying. And in between was the rest of the law. And the law is a curse. The law is a curse against mankind. Not because the law is bad, but because men are bad. I mean, you remember what the Jews said when they were given the law? You remember that? I think it's humorous in the book of Exodus, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. But for their whole history, they were lawbreakers. I mean, they they were a history. They were rebels at heart for their entire history. And so they lived under a curse for their entire existence. They're still under a curse now in one sense because they're lawbreakers. But they're not the only ones who are under a curse. Everybody on this, this this scroll went out over the face of the whole earth, not just in Judah. It went out over the face of the whole earth. So we're all under a curse, and we're all waiting on judgment without some type of redemption. Remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter three, verse ten. He said, "Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things that are written in the book in the scroll." of the law to do them. And so this scroll's flying through the earth looking for somebody that's keeping the law, and there's nobody there keeping the law. And so this scroll becomes a curse. And that curse is not only for the Jew, it's also for the Gentile. Now again, I, th- I think the time and again is is interesting because because this this the scroll goes out to find if there are any righteous before God sends judgment upon the earth. And that judgment upon the earth is the great tribulation. And we talked in the context of of those seven seals that are going to be opened up. That's the judgment of the great tribulation that's going to take place in the earth. And how does that judgment begin? The The four horsemen of the apocalypse are released upon the earth. And then the great tribulation takes place. Well, look at the very next vision in chapter number six. You get the vision of the four chariots which are the four horsemen going out into the earth. And so, I mean, it's really, really almost eerie that we're right here right now. And, and uh, I think maybe God is speaking to us that, that uh, this is something that's relative to our lives and our times. Uh, even this little group here in, you know, on Wednesday night at Calvary Chapel of Lafayette. So, we'll, so the timing, you know, is, is something else. But before the horsemen go out, the law goes out. And it flies throughout the world, world, cursing the world. And then those seven seals are open and the great tribulation begins. Uh, why? why? Because the world at that point has rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. And the world's been rejecting Jesus Christ since the creation. Uh, they, the world has said we will not have this man uh, rule over us. But when the great tribulation begins, the cup of the wrath of God is full. And uh, uh, it's going to be really bad. That's what we're going to be looking at as we continue on in Revelation in our study. uh, As we look at the great tribulation beginning this, this Sunday. But even then, even then in the great tribulation, there will be a remnant of Jews who are saved, and actually one of the purposes of the great tribulation, we talked about this before, is to prepare the nation of Israel, the remnant of Israel, to receive their Messiah. And it's also one of the purposes of the great tribulation, besides just judging the wicked, is to save some wicked, to save some, I believe, some of the apostate church, those who will become the tribulation saints. You and I don't have to worry about that, because we're going to be in heaven. Why are we going to be in heaven? Because we're better than all of these pagan sinners. Uh, no, we're going to, we're, we're going to be in heaven because we've received Jesus Christ as our savior. We've received, uh, the only means of redemption. And that's why Paul says in Galatians, right after that verse that I read to you earlier, he says in Galatians three thirteen, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, hanging on the cross for our sins. Now you talk about amazing grace. That's amazing grace. You and I can't point fingers at anybody. I mean, we deserve to die too. We were living under a curse. And when we received Christ, that curse was removed. But that curse, that scroll is going to go out into this world and their church is going to be removed and there's going to be nobody left that's not under a curse. And then God is going to be able to execute his judgment on this earth during the great tribulation. In verse number four, he says, I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. And it's going to be bad. I'm going to enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. These are the covers of the law and everything else in between. Everything else anybody does that violates that law. If you violate one point of the law, you violate the entire law. They're going to be cursed too. And, And it shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timbers and stone. And so... Uh, when the great tribulation begins, people are going to be killed, their families are going to be killed, and all their property is going to be destroyed. They're going to lose everything. Uh, And and, uh, so uh, that's the first vision that he has. Right along those lines, he gets a really weird vision. The second vision, and that's the vision of the woman in the basket. Now, what in the world is a woman doing in a basket? What does that have to do with prophecy? Well, let's see if we can figure it out. Let's read verse number five. Then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, lift up your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. And so I asked, what is it? And he said, it is a basket. Now, a basket, if you've got a King James, it's an ephah. Uh, The ephah was a basket that they used to carry their goods, to measure their goods, to measure their wheat, to measure their flour, to measure their goods. It was a vessel of commerce. So this has something to do with commerce, and we'll see that here in a little bit. And he also said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. And here is a lead disc lifted up and the woman sitting inside of the basket. So the basket has a lead disc. Covering the, you know, the basket has a hole at the top and, and it's got hinges and there's this lead disc, lead disc over the hinges. And so, the, so he lifts up the lead disc and there's a woman in this basket. Well, in order to figure this vision out, you've got to understand how women fit in prophecy. And I love this part of, this part of the uh, exegesis. Because women are always symbolic in prophecy of something wicked, now I really don't love that, and men hold your horses because we're always symbolic of first Adam we're the one who brought wickedness into the world, and so adam was adam was uh, Eve was deceived, Adam rebelled that's what Paul tells us so so we're more responsible than they are. It doesn't mean that women. Are wicked. It doesn't when, when the Bible says the ber- speaks of the birds of the air. What it, whenever we see birds of the air, what is what are we what, what's the Bible referring to? It's referring to demons. Okay, that doesn't mean that birds are demons. Birds just in prophecy are symbolic of demons. Women in the Bible are symbolic of wickedness, and more specifically, usually when you see women in prophecy, it speaks of a harlot. Somebody who draws the man away uh, from her spouse, from his spouse rather, or from the wife's spouse. So, when when we see women in prophecy, it's in the context of evil. Now, uh, it again, it doesn't mean that women are bad, uh, but but it, but they are symbolic of wickedness in in uh, in prophecy. All right, now, give me some examples. You remember the woman put the leaven in the dough. It was the woman that put the leaven in the dough. What's the leaven represent? It represents sin. So the woman in symbolism is representative of the one who causes people to sin, harlotry that causes them to sin. What's the root of all harlotry? It's unbelief. And why do we not believe in God? Because we're drawn away from God. And it's the harlots of this world that draw us away from God, from the things of God. So uh, another example, remember in the book of Revelation when we were studying the church at Thyatira and and Jesus told them to get rid of that prophetess Jezebel. And Jezebel represents a harlot, wicked woman who causes, I'm reading here out of Revelation, who causes his sermons to commit causes his servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things offered to idols. So it wasn't so much a specific Jezebel there, although there might have been there in Thyatira, but she was symbolic of a man or a woman or a thing or a, or a, or a system or a government that draws people away from God and brings them, or a false religion that brings them... Uh, into idolatry, and so she becomes a harlot. Later in Revelation, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more tonight. And we're actually going to look at the, that passage in Revelation chapters seventeen and eighteen. I believe it's in is it sixteen? So we'll look at it in a minute. I've got the reference here. I think it's seventeen and eighteen. But anyway, the woman, the mystery Babylon, uh, the whore of Babylon, as she's called, the mother of all evil. So we'll talk about her in a minute. But but anyway, a woman in this picture, or the women in this picture, represent wicked things that have drawn God's people away from God and into evil. Look at verse number eight. Then he said, this is wickedness. Okay, so, so if you didn't like my exegesis <laughs> there, God gives it to you. Uh, as clear as he can give it to you. This is wickedness. The woman in the basket, he asked who she is, and she is wickedness. Certainly not, again, he's not saying that wicked women are wicked. He's talking about she is symbolic of wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. Now, I wonder why it's a lead cover. Why didn't he say a steel cover or, or a. A cloth piece of cloth. I mean, why is it a lead cover? Because it's impossible to see through lead. And so, what he's saying when he covers her back up, I mean, even Superman can't see through lead. You see, right? You know, I'm not sure God got a sense of humor. He he knew all about Superman. He knew we knew exactly what he was talking about here. So God covers, puts her in the basket. And covers her up, and he never wants to see her again. You you you're getting the picture that's being painted right here? And so, in the next, the last three verses that we look at in this vision, she's going to be carried away. And look at verse number nine. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women again. That's evil. And what we're going to see, we're going to see evil carrying away evil. We're looking at the great tribulation now. Because we're going to see the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We've seen the world judged with this, with this uh, sixth vision. And in the seventh vision, we see evil being carried away. That's the purpose of God's judgment. And how is, he, how is he going to carry away evil? He's going to carry away evil by evil. Now, you read the Great Tribulation. And a good bit of what happens in the Great Tribulation is men doing things to men. I mean, you, I, you, we're, we're, this Korean leader who's threatening to throw a nuclear missile at the United States, right that could very well be what begins the Great Tribulation and kills a third of the fish, or uh, knocks out a third of the boats in the sea and kills, I think, a third of the fish in the sea or whatever. Uh, we'll get those numbers when we get into the Revelation later, later on. But but it's going to be wicked people. God is just going to, remember we're told in Second Thessalonians that God is going to, this can't happen until God removes that which restrains the Antichrist from coming on the scene. When He removes good from this earth, when He removes the Church from this earth, and He removes His Spirit, to in a sense He removes His Spirit. He removes the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that convicts people. Hey, this is bad. And people are just going to do whatever they want to do in that time, and they're, they're gonna, the whole world is going to become a haunt for demonic spirits. And and so you're going to see. Evil men destroying evil men, even evil women destroying evil women. You're going to see evil people destroying evil people. And so that's why you see these these uh, two women carrying away this woman, this wickedness. She's going to carry her away. Then I raised my eyes, and I looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork. And a stork is one of those bad birds, and you got women that are... That are uh, bad birds in the sense they're not kosher and, and you got women these, who represent wickedness and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth so I said to the angel who talked with me where are they carrying the basket now watch this very carefully and they said to me to build a house for it in the land of Shinar a permanent rest for evil in the land of Shinar Shinar is where? Babylon it's in Babylon And so, then when it is ready, the basket will be there on its base. It will be set there. When it's put on a base, that means it's permanently there. It's permanently there, and it's never going to be back in Israel again. It's never going to be back on this good part of this earth again. Because what's going to happen to this mystery Babylon in the Great Tribulation? This mystery Babylon is going to be... Totally destroyed. So the message of what he's given us in this last vision is that God is going to judge this evil world system, these things, these harlots that draw us away from God. He's going to destroy it by evil. And it's going to be carried away and it's not going to exist anymore. It's, not going to, it's got a lead cover. He's not going to see that wickedness anymore. It's going to be removed from this earth. Now, what does this symbolic Babylon represent? I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure what he's talking about here, and you need to get this down because we're going to be looking at this again when we come to the towards the end of Revelation. And it represents the harlotry of, harlotries of mankind that have drawn the world away from the Lord and into wickedness. And what are those main harlotries? They're... Uh, Idolatry, or you could call it false religion, and the love of money, the love of things. And that lines up perfectly with the judgment of Mystery Babylon uh, during the Great Tribulation. You don't think so? Go with me over to Revelation. It is Revelation 17, Revelation 17 and 18. Let's just read a little bit of this and get it down because we're going to come back to this and you're going to you're going to we'll maybe look at this symbolism again this this vision again. But even if we don't, you'll you'll have some insight on it. Some others don't have because we won't spend this much time on it. But but just reading, look at what happens here, and this this helps you a lot with the interpretation of Mystery Babylon. I I hear people all the time say Mystery Babylon is the Catholic Church. That's a you know that's a possibility you know sometimes there in prophecy there's a there's an immediate fulfillment and there's a immediate meaning and there's a broader meaning and it could be that the catholic church is what's judged a part of but it's but I I don't think specifically it's the catholic church I really think it's all false religion it's all the things the harlotries that draw uh, us away from God Look at look at what happens here though, and beginning in verse number seventeen. Then one of the seven angels who asked, had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, "Come, I will show you who the judgment I will show you the judgment of the great harlot, this woman who sits on many waters." Now, you know, uh, th- there's some things that indicate this might be Rome, but uh, that's not one of them, in my opinion. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Jump down to verse number four. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. Now that does look kind of like the Catholic Church, but here's where you got to watch your symbolism. Purple and scarlet were the were the colors of royalty, the colors of the rich. And I think again, the maybe maybe there's a you know a, a some meaning in the fact that that might be the Catholic Church, but the broader meaning is that it, we're talking about people who have made themselves rich at the expense of the righteous, at the expense of their relationship with God. It says, The woman had, was, was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having, her hand, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations. See, abominations, all the things that are abominable to God. Well, it could be the United States. You know, I can read this and I can fit the United States right in this. But, you know, on an individual basis, at one time, I could have fit myself right into this. So, so, again, I think we want to look at the broader meaning here. And on her forehead was mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of the harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Now, again, that's some people say that's the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church martyred many of the Protestants during the, during the Reformation and before the Reformation. But, but uh, I, I think this is more, again, these are things that are symbolic of spiritual things. This is more of a spiritual martyrdom. In other words, it, it, it killed the saints. when You know, the things that bring death into our lives, even, even as saints, are those things that are an abomination to the lord those things that draw us away from the lord they kill us spiritually i mean we 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 don't lose our salvation but they kill any impact we have on this world They, they they bring us down and i think that's a lot of what he's speaking of right here and when i saw her i marveled with great amazement and then jump over to chapter 18 after these things i saw another angel coming down from heaven with great authority And the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried out mightily with a loud voice, Babylon, the Great is fallen, is fallen in the great tribulation. This is like the two, two women carrying, uh, this woman in this ephah away and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird for all the nations. All the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. All of these things, these harlotries that draw us away from God have made people rich. The television that draws you and I away from God has made a lot of people rich. And Brenda was telling me a while ago that Matt Lauer, who fell today, was making $20 million a year. $20 million a year. And he, and the king, the kings of this earth had committed fornication with her and the merchants of this earth had become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her. You know, I tell you what, it's getting high time. We might need to look at some of these harlotries that we're involved in. And... I don't think here at Calvary Chapel we're involved in a false religion, but we certainly, all of us, to some degree, allow all sorts of things to come into our life that separate us from God. that bring death to us spiritually, even though we're still alive and we're born again and we're sealed with the Spirit forever. They keep us from being filled with the Spirit. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquity. Render to her just as she had rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed double for her. Jump down to verse number eight. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, in one day. Death and mourning and famine and she will be utterly burned with fire. Babylon will be destroyed. And all of those things that that uh, she... Uh, poured out on the earth to get all the harlotries that she poured out or, or made available to people that separated people from God, they will be destroyed with her. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. And you then you get into the rest of chapter 18 and you see the merchants mourning for her. You see the people mourning for her because they loved this anti-Christ world. They loved the world and they didn't love God. And if you love the world, the love of God is not in you. John tells us in First John, I believe chapter number two. Anyone who loves the, the world, the love of the Lord is not in her. So you, so you see the message of this, this seventh vision here. Uh, in the great tribulation, the wicked And all things that made them wicked are going to be removed from this earth. And in the millennium, the only things that will remain are the things that are righteous and true. Those things that draw us closer to God. Not the things that come in between our relationship with God i got to tell you, that means things are going to be a lot different on this earth. All these false religions, they're going to be gone. There's not going to be any Buddhism. There's not going to be any Jehovah's Witnesses. There's not going to be any, any false Baptist or false Calvary Chapelites. There's not going to be any false religion. Going to be, the world's going to be uh, made up of true believers and truth. Uh, the love of money. Is gonna be gone. Not money. I think we probably have money in, in heaven. We might, I mean probably in the millennium I would think we might have some type of bartering system, and probably that will involve some type of coin, maybe, maybe it'll just be a bartering system. But the love of money will be gone. Let me tell you some of the other things will probably be gone. I believe TV will be gone. I believe movies will be gone. And I hate to say this, but iPhones will be gone too. (laughs) There won't be any iPhones. There won't be any malls. I don't believe there'll be any NFL. I still think there'll be golf and motorcycles. (laughs) Maybe not. But just imagine a world where The only thing you have time for is God and family and friends. For some people, that sounds horrific. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) but if it sounds horrific to you, I mean, I think maybe it's time we start to come out of her and start weaning ourselves away from some of these things that drag us away from the Lord. And I mean, if we don't want to worship God here, I wonder if we're going to worship, want to worship God in heaven. Mm-hmm. We don't want to give, love the Lord with all our hearts and souls now, and I don't wonder if we're going to want to do that in heaven. I wonder if heaven's really the place for us. But I promise you, if you make it there, and most of you will, probably all of you, you're going to love it. <laughs> you're going to absolutely love it. You know, we cling to the things of this world like my cat clings to a chair when you scare that cat and try to pick it up. I mean, we cling to those things. We don't want to let them go. And I've been in positions where those things have been taken away from me at times and somehow I find my peace and joy again. You know, when we get to heaven, they're going to all be gone. They're going to be carried away. There'll be a monument to them They'll be on a base never to be opened again. And Babylon will be no more. And we'll live in the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever. And I promise you it's going to be really, I'm like Donald Trump. This is a really good thing. (laughs) And I say, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And I believe he is. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, these prophecies that you give us and, and uh, how, how, what a clear message they have, Lord. It's time for us to come out from this world, Lord, to, to wean ourselves of some of these things that are drawing us away from you and to become the kind of people that you would have us to be, Lord, people who worship you in spirit and in truth, and that is our priority, But we enjoy the things of life that you give us, the things on this earth. And, Lord, just help us to keep a balance. And Lord, show us the things that you want us to to let go of, the things maybe you want us to back off of a little bit and help us to get ready for that time when when, uh, we are in your presence. And our priority then is to worship you and to serve you. Help us to get used to that now. We ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in His precious name that I pray. Amen.